You're alive. Well, good morning, friends. Andy C. Luda here, and I want to welcome you to this weekly edition of the Weekly Clergy Roundtable. I'm Andy C. Luda of the Hollywood Full Gospel Baptist Cathedral of Amityville, New York, and the Queen's Ministry of New York City. As always, I'm delighted to be joined by a superb panel of uh, religious personalities who have come together to share not only in this moment, but to engage in this conversation and topic that we have selected for your consideration today. So uh, let me begin here in uh, North Carolina with our Archbishop. Thank you, good morning, uh, and welcome to our show today. Grace and peace to everyone. We're looking forward to a lively program together. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, and our other panelists are around the country, and we're looking forward to our discussion today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And since we are there in uh, Tar Heel country, let's remain in North Carolina. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I'm Archbishop Anthony Slater. I'm the senior pastor of Tehillah Church Ministries and the primate of Tehillah International Fellowship. It's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And from North Carolina, let's bounce to Buffalo. Grace and peace to one and all. It's such an honor to be with you. Uh, I am Pastor Jeffrey Bourne of the Love Alive Fellowship, Full Gospel Baptist Church, and I'm glad to be here with my colleagues. Thank you, sir. And one of the fresh voices and faces are uh, recently added to our panel from Iowa. Good morning. I'm Helen Steenster. I'm senior pastor of Cornelia Ministries. Uh, we are people connected to God and people connected to each other. I'm ha happy to be with you here this morning and just looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, ma'am. And then I'm coming back here to Long Island, my colleague from Copay. Good morning, grace and peace to all of us. I'm delighted to be here this morning. This is Pastor Keith Hayward, the pastor of Bethel AME Church in Copay. We are the oldest African-American congregation on Long Island. Happy to be here. Thank you, sir. And beloved, we have a uh, new voice, a new face, that has joined us this is actually their second week being with us. And I'm going to yield to Archbishop Dennis Goffin to make the formal uh, introduction and re-welcome our guests to our panel discussion today. Thank you, Bishop. We have Bishop Artie Hines with us this morning. So we're glad to have him with us in this discussion. So we're glad to, oh, I'm sorry, that that, um, that lady kind of got me with that. Yeah, we're, yeah, she got to mess us all up. She got to mess us all up. I've heard of red bottom shoes. I've never heard of bottom red uh, hats to go along with it. Looking like a church lady this morning. Sanctified. <laughs> so we got Bishop Artie Hines with me. Excuse me, Bishop. But, uh, we're going to welcome him from Richard, Virginia. Will you greet our, our panel this morning, Bishop? Welcome, Bishop. Good morning, saints and fellow champions. I am Bishop Audie Hines here in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Audie Hines Ministry, where we believe and champion the linkage between the church and marketplace ministry, where we're taking it to the highways and the byways in a more excellent way. And I am honored to be a part of this panel group discussion this morning. Thank you, Bishop. We are so delighted to have you, and uh, we know that what you're going to share and what you will contribute is going to be immense for our conversation. And having just joined us, my neighbor from the North Shore of Long Island. Good morning, Bishop. Were y'all talking about my hat? Yes, we were. Yes, we most certainly were. This is a church lady. Y'all better get y'all one of these hats. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Bishop Stephanie B. Riddle Green, pastor of the Joshua Baptist Cathedral in Huntington, New York, and the New Destiny uh, Impact Center. Glad to be a part of it and glad to have on my hat. <laughs> Again, I'm Andy C. Luter of the Hollywood Full Gospel Baptist Cathedral and the Queen's Ministry of New York City. Uh, friends, here is a topic that we want to tackle today. Uh, it is both obvious and apparent that here of late, with the news being fraught with such attention being given to Washington, D.C., uh, at the time, at the time of this uh, recording, uh, the President of the United States is but two, maybe three days uh, 
of uh, having the coronavirus. He on last evening left uh, Walter Reed Hospital Center and returned to the White House. And amidst the discussion, the overall national and even global discussion that's going on regarding the coronavirus, the religious right has played a major role. There's been a great deal of attention that has been uh, assigned to the evangelical community and uh, they have been solicited for comment and perspective and even an interpretation, re religious and even theological, uh, in terms of what is going on here and now. <clears throat> the odd thing is that this evangelical community, this religious right, as they are sometimes called, do not necessarily represent the views and the attitudes and the perspective of those of us who are on this call, and perhaps many of you who are sharing in this clergy roundtable today. And it highlights the fact that Christianity is not monolithic. We're not uniform in terms of our thinking, our attitude, our perspective, our hermeneutics. Uh, there is a great deal of difference between uh, that which is represented by the religious right, uh, the, the, the singular issues that they seem to be concentrating on and focused upon, uh, and then uh, the larger uh, community of Christ of which many of us belong to. And one of the things that I say in the theological context is that the God of the oppressed is never the God of the oppressor. Let me say that again, that the God of the oppressed is not the God of the oppressor. Uh, the God of the oppressed uses their relationship with God and deity to sustain and survive the ordeal of oppression. While uh, those who are the mainstay in the mainstream use their community of faith to maintain the status quo, which is usually a pyramid where they remain on top and they remain superior to everyone else who is on the bottom. And so there's an obvious uh, hermeneutic, there's an obvious uh, biblical interpretation that is contrasting between people who are under the blunt, the weight, and the pressure of oppression, and then those who are in positions of privilege. And I think that we're seeing this acted out in a most dramatic kind of way today. So we uh, end up with a Jerry Farwell or a Jerry Farwell Jr. out of Lynchburg, Virginia saying one thing, and then we have this national spokesman for the NAACP who is a man of color, extremely articulate, or a Reverend Al Sharpton or a Reverend Jesse Jackson, who is saying something that is totally different than what we would find in white evangelical circles. And so I'm gonna pitch this to you, Archbishop Goffin, to talk about these variances, these polemics, these, these uh, spectrum, this uh, religio-political spectrum, and how many different places uh, the body of Christ occupies on this spectrum. And then I'm anxious to solicit commentary from the remainder of our panel as well. Bishop, you gave an interesting commentary uh, in terms of where we are and how we look at things. I want to reiterate something I've been saying over and over again, is that America is not a religious nation. It's not a Christian nation. Although we have a lot of Christians who are here, uh, it is not a religious nation nation so and there may not be and of course the other answer to all that is decide whether America is the new Israel we are really not the new Israel but we have people who think that and so we have this call to protect uh, Christian values to look at what we call four Christian uh, or religious ideals that must be protected because of our Christian values and so we look at trying to deal with that. And now we want to legislate morality and um, change core values of things. So I think that there are a lot to be looked on. So we put up these, app, these idols. Everybody have uh, different placards and place cards about what they think is right and what they need to fight for. And we choose what battles we're going to fight. On one hand, uh, the big issue here is about abortion and um, the alphabet people. And then on the other hand, it's about systemic racism. So, and it all falls down to our theology. Since the Reformation, 
we've had a proliferation of various theological ideas, even though even from the start in the early church, we had different theological viewpoints on with various councils as where the church was going and many being called heretics because they didn't agree with what we call orthodox theology at, at that time, which was right viewpoint. And then when we got the uh, Reformation, when we got the scriptures start being translated in German and then in English and uh, other languages, everybody started doing their own commentaries. And so we offered different viewpoints and different ideas of what we think uh, the Bible is saying. Uh, as you um, mentioned quite a bit, uh, Bishop, you say that we're all practicing theologians. And I think that as we all have our opinions about God, I, I believe there, that there is, and I'll conclude here, there are too many opinions and not really enough opinions coming from God because, or actually a right word coming from God because we have various opinions that are, and, you're, and I guess one opinion is probably as good as the next opinion. And so we battle it out, there we are. Thank you, thank you, sir. Archbishop uh, Slate, I'm gonna to come to you <clears throat> partly because of the limitation of time that you have available today. And then I'm gonna to go to uh, President Haywood because both of you are on a, a rather strict or rigid schedule today. But part of the awkwardness is that when we stand in our pulpits, uh, we talk about the universal church. And part of the tension that uh, emerges in this conversation that we're having today is that we would prefer to think that the church is one body in Christ. And that because, and if in fact, we are one body in Christ, there ought to be more uniformity in terms of our thought, in terms of how we express ourselves, in terms of what we think and what we believe. The harsh reality, however, is that we're not uniform in the way that we think. How do you explain that? And you brought up right before we went on the air, a very interesting point about prophetic utterances and how they seem to be single-sided today. Yes, um, Bishop, thank you so much. But I'm, I'm finding there is a very hard uh, way to be able to speak what's in your mind, especially in our community, that if you speak something that's different than the narrative of our community, you're a heretic, you're everything else. People don't even want to talk to you. But when you bring a different viewpoint, you become uh, attacked. And I think we, we have to be careful with that because a lot of what the opposing viewpoint is, there's some truth. And if we don't hear, the Bible says that, you know, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And a lot of times we're so used to being bound that we refuse to be free. And so the, the view, different viewpoints of what we're seeing, I take, uh, I'm strong in the fact of saying, I am not a victim. I am a, a, a conqueror. As a matter of fact, the Bible considers me as more than a conqueror. And I believe that as a believer, that's the attitude we should take and not so much taking that, oh, help me, woe is me. And I think that since we're just passing through this world and we're not citizens, I think our mindsets need to be a little different. Okay, okay. So uh, Bishop Boisman, let me uh, quickly go to uh, Pastor Hayward, who has limited time with us today as well. Uh, Pastor, we would all agree, every last one of us on this panel would all agree that we have one Bible and we submit to the authority and we submit to that, and we submit to the contents of that one Bible. So explain to us, uh, in light of what Archbishop Slater has shared with us, that variances of opinion can, um, that can, can cause you to be literally attacked by a community that may hold a different view. So if there is one Bible and we agree upon the contents of that Bible, where do these different viewpoints come from, Pastor? The church has been hoodwinked and we've hoodwinked the people. That's the truth. If, 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 if seriously, if theologians would tell the truth, seriously tell the truth about the, the, the one uh, transcript that we do have and look at the historical aspect of America, um, the division continues to become broad. So how do we breach the gap? That, that, that is a major issue of mine. So when I look at the church and our different viewpoints, when we come up with new ideas about who we are and where we are, the Reverend Samuel Thornton, who was one of my mentors, who actually built the parts that I live in, he shared this with me one day. He said, 
the black race will always have its foot on its neck by America. Mm. America's racial divide will not will never be healed until the black church tells the truth about their own suffering. See, we do this Black Lives Matter, we do all these things, and we and we do it, be, and, and, and then we have preachers involved. They look for the preachers to be involved. But after the march is over, we fail to teach our people. That's that's a major issue. So when we come with the new ideas about buy the house, rent the car, people think, are you crazy? You mean rent the car. We don't teach our people about holisticness in life. We teach our people about having your soul saved, but what do I have your life saved? So when somebody comes up with a new idea about how our people should be treated and how we should build our and reframe and um, rebuild our own lives, nobody wants to hear that. Well, we want to shout on Sunday morning, but then after church is over, that's the key piece. I think church don't begin until church is over. And the reason is this. How am I going to make it from Sunday to Sunday, but I can't pay my bills on Thursday? But I'm going to come to church and shout that the Lord has done this for me and that done that for me, but we ain't done nothing for ourselves. So when all these ideas come together about enlightenment and building ourselves, here come the attacks. This guy just got here. And, and I, I went through it when I first got, got here to Copay. I went through it in a major way and going through it again right now. Who's here? What do you think he is? No, I, I, listen, we come to do what God has called us to do about building people. We can't build people and just, just camouflage all this stuff and just push all this under, under the table without understanding we have to build our own selves. America ain't gonna do it for us. We gotta do it for ourselves. Ooh, well, I tell you, this has become a very engaging conversation. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna move to Buffalo and uh, Bishop Bowens to uh, kind of extend, but uh, I am intrigued by the, by the kinds of things that uh, I'm hearing today. Bishop Bowens. Thank you so much, Bishop. Um, I am certainly uh, stirred as well by what I'm hearing. And um, it, it certainly is a challenge, um, uh, particularly in this country, of uh, the, the different mindsets that is going on between the evangelical and the, if you will, the black church mm -hmm. and how they have different perspective you will find on one instance that most of the black church would be watching cnn and the msnbc or nbc and then you have the evangelicals they they preoccupy with the fox news channel i don't know if this is having a bearing or effect on um the mindsets or the thoughts um but even before these uh television stations had come into being there still was a separation and the segregation. And um, I'm thinking along the lines of, uh, you know, in regards to mindset, we see biblically that there was the Pharisees, there was the scribes, there was the Essenes, there was the Herodians. So historically, there has always been difference of opinions. Um, but Jesus came to set the record straight. He came to set the record. He came to set the precedence of what was on the heart of the father. What was that? I came to save that which was lost. And I think that's what we should be preoccupied with. I'm also thinking along the lines of Job and his friends and how that they were describing God in their um, discussion during Job's uh, traumatic um, event. And um, in the end, in the 42nd chapter, something captured me where it talks about how that uh, the Lord came back and said to Job's friends, they did not say what was right concerning me. Mm -hmm. They did not say what was right. And I think you still, we still have a lot of people that is not saying what's right. This country is too... Uh, rooted and grounded in nationalism and religion, not Christianity, not faith in God. We are too ingrained in nationalism and religion. And um, I'm, of, I'm of the impression that you don't have to, uh, you, you can claim that you know God, you can claim that you walk with God, but your, 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 uh, your works will um, display and exhibit whether or not that's true or not. You shall know the tree 
by the fruit it bear, not by the bark it wear. Ah, <laughs> ah, that's good. That's good, Bishop. That's good, Bishop. Yes. Listen, let's kind of change the temperature of the conversation just a little bit by inviting the uh, perspective of the ladies that we have as part of our conversation. So I want to go to uh, Bishop Designate Sinister and Bishop Stephanie Little Green to weigh in on uh, what appears to be pluralism in the body of Christ, that we say that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and yet there is such diversity of opinions, uh, both socially and religiously and theologically and politically. Uh, where do we, what, what explains uh, such variances in the body of Christ, a bishop designate, and then Bishop Green? Good morning. I um, truly believe that the oppressor cannot really relate to the oppressed when it comes to that. When I look at the Bible, I want to stay on this side of grace. And if you look at the Bible and you're and believing that, we have people, my posture is to stay on this side of grace, but I believe that somehow we've got two different meanings of what faith is and what uh, repentance is and what's confession and all these things. Because when I see that, when we look at the practical side, we see those things being exploited. We see, you know, I have a problem understanding how you can get that vast different meanings out of, of, of what the Bible is saying. So um, I think we need clarification there. There's, when you look and you see um, two are reading the same Bible, but you see those exploiting people and you see that they're uh, actually, uh, there's such a difference in uh, what they mean, uh, justice and racial equality, all those things. So um, there's been, it's almost the humor, dehumorizing people, the culture, and I see that so much. So I, I think it goes down to they do not have, they don't feel the same pulse of the community that we feel. There's no way that the oppressor can relate to the oppressed because they're privileged, you know, and, and, and so they receive the Bible that way, I believe. So that bothers me because, you know, I, I shared with on Sunday that I I have no problem praying for the president, you know, but because God, he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He will take care of that. I had to minister to a young lady that killed my brother. But God, uh, but I have a problem when people take what, you know, God's blessings and exploit them and then use them as I see what's been happening in the last few days, you know, because you can't tempt God, you cannot... And so I have a problem with that. Um, there's a double standard. <laughs> there's a complete different standard with the evangelicals and the and the black church, and and that's confusion, you know. So we have to clarify that with our people. We have to stand on what the Word of God says, and we have to be clear on what it says. And we cannot be um, wishy-washy. We've got to be bold enough to stand on that and teach and preach that. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Bishop Green, we want to hear from you. Bishop Hines, you're on deck to uh, speak to us next. We haven't forgotten you, uh, but we want to be as inclusive as possible. Bishop Green. Amen. I want to stand uh, on the first. I want to go back and say uh, to Bishop Hay to Pastor Hayward, hope he's still on the line. I don't believe that the church has been hoodwinked. Um, I believe as I stand on my sister's shoulders today, that there are different interpretations of what we read and there are different uh, tastes that's in our mouths of what we want. And so there is a movie, a, a series that comes on Hulu called Miss America. And as you watch Miss America, you watch um, a group of housewomen, uh, uh, housewives who want to maintain, they want to maintain the value, and, and, it, and it's part fiction, part true. They want to maintain the value of the home. And in the meanwhile, you have a group of women, Gloria Steinbeck and all of them, who desire to, um, looks like I lost you guys. You guys are still there? We're here. Okay. Who, who desire 
to uh, cry out regarding themselves, their bodies, their rights, and things of that nature. And as this, as this series goes on, you, you begin to see a group of uh, women almost politically attempt to protect uh, the housewife. Then you see a group of women politically um, protect a woman's right to choose. And near the end of the series, the evangelicals get involved. And they get involved, and this is all true, because there was some truth to it. Um, right around the time Reagan becomes president, they get involved because things are getting hot. You know, things are getting real hot. Things are getting real serious. And they need the voice of the evangelicals to come and bring scripture because um, our great United States is supposed to be built upon the word of God, come and bring in scripture. But what they were actually doing was trying to maintain the household as it was. And so I feel uh, that nothing's changed. I feel that um, you have a group that's trying to maintain things a particular way. As a female pastor traveling around the country, when I've gotten to the Bible Belt, you know, to say, well, I'm a pastor uh, down in those areas, it made no difference. When I said it um, in the northern areas, um, I was embraced. And so um, I, I, had, I had a problem praying for the president, so I just didn't pray for him. I just didn't pray for him at all. I said to God, you know my heart. Uh, um, and however you see fit, I didn't pray for him. I prayed for me. However you see fit to bring me out of this whole situation so I can still get to heaven, it's fine by me. And so I'm persuaded that it, there's a lot of po politics involved, naturally, and that um, the opinion of what is and what's not, uh, we can interpret the scripture. We can sit down with you guys I can say this and I'm done because there's others coming behind me. We can sit down and interpret the scripture regarding a woman preaching, regarding a woman's ability or right to preach. And there will be a number, even some maybe on this line, who will go, no, that's not good. She can't preach. She can't. And then there'll be some of us that goes, well, it doesn't say that. What it says is that there's neither um, junior Greek, male nor female, you know, and, and go from there. And so... Um, that's my take on the bishop. I hear a lot of people um, cheering on the presidents, the evangelicals. Then I hear a lot of um, people trying to pity pat around the situation. As Bishop said earlier, if you prophesy, you're in trouble. You know, I'm going to get into good trouble. <laughs> John Lewis talked about good trouble. Maybe all good of us should be pursuing uh, good trouble. Uh, Bishop Hines, we are anxious to hear from you. And again, welcome to our conversation today. Thank you. It's a clear privilege and honor. Uh, I'd like to go back to uh, the Christian value mindset of this thought of a universal church, like a one standard. And, and from my experience, separating uh, the, the, the Christian community as a whole must unplug itself uh, from party lines because the party line influence, which is secular, has set up a standard to woo us into a, a box of how we are supposed to be and how we're supposed to take a perspective on an issue. But the last time that I checked, I saw that slavery had actually brought about the birth of this manipulation of our gospels. Mm. And, and by doing so, it became something of a mechanism to control the people using our biblical principles against us. And so I'm challenged around the thought of what's happening today around the word called freedom and how freedom was redefined by a group of people to put people, another group of people in a place that they previously had called slavery. And now it's become a morph condition 
into now, it's not slavery anymore. It's called classism. I want to classify a people. So if you are uh, uh, of the persuasion in your universal church perspective that abortion and, and same sex is not okay, then you must be tied to the secular group called the Republican Party. And on the other side, if you are loving your neighbor as you love yourself and, and worrying about the conditions and concerns of the oppressed, then you must be a part of the other party, which is Democrat. So we have to unplug ourselves because all of that is not God-led, it's man-led. And my understanding and interpretation, I'll end on this note, um, the Christian value definition of freedom is no respecter of person. So if you're gay, you're straight. If you're racism, you still need, racist, you still need to be saved. And so we have to now deal with the battle of dealing with the non-Christian agenda speaking for us. They don't speak for us. The Black Lives Matter doesn't speak for us. The Christian value, universal church, based on the word of God, speaks for us. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Archbishop, I'm anxious to kind of come back to you as we continue to talk about the delineation in the body of Christ and these contrasting differences uh, and these pluralistic views that we find within the body of Christ itself. Uh, you are a historian, and so let's go back and examine the Christian family tree in the last 300 years. In the uh, 17th century, we have names like Rousseau and Locke that give us the age of reason and the age of uh, enlightenment. That is followed by a revival movement, primarily in this country, in the 17th century, I'm sorry, in the 18th century, and in the 19th century, or the 1700s and the 1800s, that's historically referred to as the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. Now, what I find very, very interesting is that coming out of the First and the Second Great Awakening of the 18th and the 19th century are two church patterns that appear. On the one hand, we have fundamentalism, the monkey trials, the scopes trials of uh, the early 1900s, 1930s, uh, fundamentalism and evangel evangelicalism, uh, the icon of that certainly would be Billy Graham. But then in 1880 and then in 1906, we have the Pentecostal movement and then later the Oneness movement. Uh, talk to us about how there could be two totally expressions of Christianity coming out of a single revival movement known to us as the First and Second Great Awakening. Well, in summing up, Bishop, I think that what we have to look at in terms of summing um, those awakenings up, out of one came a great ideology of a Christian thought of theology. Out of the other came an experience, a spiritual experience of the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. So we were stuck with reason and experience because the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, and this whole idea of the King uh, revivals um, all came out of an experience that seemed to overwhelm us. And it became an emotional, um, I would say, and I hate to say it this way, but we have to say an emotional drugging experience that came through a Pentecostal uh, mindset as opposed to this idealistic and the age of reasoning bring us in to look at logic in terms of scripture. And so we were influenced by great intellectual minds who began to look at um, intellect, and we call it the enlightenment. That whole period you're talking about too became what we call an enlightenment. And so modern theology became involved in the enlightenment of what we call uh, the evangelical or fundamentalists. And fundamentalists with the Puritans and all who came here, lay becoming the uh, Church of the Brethren and so forth, went on a literal interpretation of scripture. Uh, and that's where we grew up with Bishop. Bishop Stephanie Green talking about where they are with women because they literal, they read a text. All of us can read. It's never a problem about what we read. What, what happens is a, a problem about what we interpret, what we read. And so the interpretation of what we read varies because we haven't learned the hermeneutical 
benefit of what Alexander the Great started when he wrote his language. He made a language, the most precise language in the world, that was only subject to one interpretation, but many applications. So when, when you've got a five-case system, and that, that means basically that there was a 500-word vocabulary of the Greek at the time the Bible was written, um, and most schools now, uh, when you go to study Greek, set of what we call an eight-case system. Uh, so they've expanded the library of not just biblical Greek, but the classical Greek of the area. And so when you try to apply those and get them together, you're dealing with, so if you're interpreting from only a 500 word vocabulary, where you're interpreting today from an 8 million word vocabulary, it's two different viewpoints. So our problem is that we try to put our present viewpoints into the classical viewpoint of the Bible. And so we have a problem in figuring out where we are and what we're doing with that idea. So then we have two movements that emerge, especially in this country. We have the age of reason that emerged. That's why we had the scope. Uh, there, was a, there was a science teacher uh, whose name was Scope. And, and what he did was look at um, evolution. And so the fundamentalists put him on trial and it became, and they, and they lost the case. So it became the scope that whole thing became a mockery for fundamentalists. Every time we've tried to mock society, and I'll just put this here, when we tried to, when, when the, uh, the, um, the movement came, and this was, by the way, by women, the separatist movement that came in and tried to block liquor and, and everything that was coming in, everything we've tried to block in terms of what we tried to impose Christian values on this country has become law. Right. That's interesting within itself. Yeah. Everything we've tried to block in terms of what we call, we're trying to protect Christian values have eventually become law. I'm going to stop there. I don't want to dominate. That, that's good. That's good. Very, very quickly. And I want to include Archbishop Slater and uh, Pastor Haywood because I know, again, their time is limited. But kind of drilling down from that, Archbishop, what then becomes the application of those things that you've heard from Archbishop Dolphin and myself in terms of the, the historical impact upon the church. How does that, how does that work its way out in the life of the church today? I think that, thank you. I think that it's gonna go back to finding that culture is gonna have a major effect on how we view where we are. Uh, and I think if we take the scripture as, as what it says, we should be empowered but because of our experience on this earth and with the things around us in our community, things become altered. It's hard to see us as victorious when we've been dealing with so much thing, so many things. We can't give up hope on what God has said. Now, if God is sovereign, we have to see that everything that we're dealing with is in the plan of God. We have to find out what role do we play and how do we play in it. And so the Bible says this, and I'm going to relieve this. God is love. If that's the case, we talked about the Greek. Which love are we talking about? We talked about agape. We're talking uh, about phileos. You know, which love are we talking about? According to the text, we're, we're talking about a simple fact that is unconditional, agape. So how is it as believers, a part of the body, regardless of the culture, how do we show love in an hour where there's chaos? And I believe that's going to be the answer to our woes in this hour. Ooh, okay, okay. Let me go back to Pastor Malcolm X, I mean, uh, Pastor Haywood, who has suggested that we've been hoodwinked or, or, who, or who has used the language of Malcolm X today. Uh, return to that, if you would, uh, Pastor, and explain that so that we will have a, uh, a, a better understanding of what you intend and what you're intimating to us today. Let me begin by saying the reason why I don't hate white people, because my grandmother's white. So their DNA is in me as well. So I wanna go back to what I said earlier. When we look at, we, we talk about the one text of the universal church. If we tell the truth, the Catholic church has the literature that nobody's seen. We have been given documentation to keep us in a certain, in certain, certain place and it's called oppression. Let's flip it now. We talk about the census. Let's go back to the constitution. All men are created equal, but we're still considered as three-fifth men. So let me tell you how that works in the census in 2020. We are still considered three-fifth men. 
So if 75% of the people, African-American communities, fill out the census, because we don't have 100%, we drop down to 50%. Nobody knows that. So why don't we tell the truth? That divide is going to continue. That's why I think the church has been healed weak. If they tell us the truth, now we now we can we can we can make the adjustments. Redlining, put the blacks over here, put the whites over here. Bishop Hines said it uh, in a more eloquent way. I'm I'm a little radical, and 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 I don't apologize for it because for this reason, some of our people when you wake them up in the morning, they open their eyes. Some folks sit up, others roll over, go right back to sleep. How long is the church going to allow our people to stay to sleep? Because they put us to sleep with this oppression and oppressed people will oppress other people. So what the black church does, we oppress our own people. So now it filters over to society. So why have we got all these issues in the black community? I'm not too concerned about the white community. Why have we got all these issues? Because back in the day, Daddy Luther stood up for injustice against our people. In the city, Adam Clayton Powell stood up for injustice in the city. We look at uh, Vernon John's uh, precursor to Martin Luther King stood out to injustice. So why we don't still have that voice in the black church? Then if you have the voice, here comes the divide within our own community. That's why I think we've been hoodwinked. We keep being put back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I got an issue with that because uh, the, the text talks about he who said, who the son says free is free indeed. Okay, wonderful. But the constitution still says all men are created equal, that man is not pluralistic because when it was written, it was written for white men. So why, why has that been changed and the Constitution been, been changed to call us 100% people? Well, the church doesn't uprise about this stuff. I challenged Congressman Meeks in Queens just the other day. Bruh, you're one of us. When are you going to go on the stand on the floor and say that black people are 100% people? When are we gonna do that? So my my issue is this. I love our history history. I love all the theology, the Greek, the the the, the Hebrew, all of that kind of stuff. But I live today. What are we gonna do with our people today? So Bishop Green, thanks, darling. I listened to you Sunday night. That was a powerful message. Thank you so much. And I and I want to share with everybody. Listen, I listened to Archbishop Golfin the other day talking about the reality of the church when it comes to racism. There's a book written by Dr. Van Gaten. I I hope you all buy it. It's a wonderful, wonderful document. That will answer a lot of our questions because on Sunday mornings, ain't no white folk walking up a vessel, maybe one or two every now and then. So we keep looking at the same thing over and over again and nothing changes. Our president just had a weekend virus. (laughs) Lord have mercy. But nobody talks about, the church don't talk about this stuff. Well, anyhow, I can say a whole lot more, but I'm saving it for Saturday, Saturday, uh, Bishop Luther. My brother, grace and peace be unto you. I love you all. Listen, if if the truth hurts, tell it. If it's going to cost your life, tell it. Defend the gospel if it's going to cause you to be uncomfortable. The king is going to be the king but we got to promote the king so the world will see the king in his authentic value and really for who he is. Mm. Thank, thank you, President Haywood. Thank, thank you, Archbishop Slater. Hopefully you have to run. Uh, Bishop Bowens, we're coming to you. And then ladies, we're coming back to you. And then we're going to give you, Bishop uh, Hines, uh, the last word for today, uh, for this, for this uh, hour conversation that we're having. Bishop Bowens. Yes, um, very stirring conversation. Um, I'd like to piggyback off of uh, Bishop Hines, who mentioned about being unplugged and um, and starting all over again, I guess, in, in some fashion. I, he could probably elaborate on that a little more. Um, but I was thinking along the line that uh, we are, our fight, one of our biggest fight is between culturalism and um, Christianity. And um, there is a great influence that is going on. Um, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, you know, I, I have to take that under consideration. I have to take that under advisement because it's a part of our culture. And uh, so I have to uh, 
you know, evaluate that and uh, come to some kind of conclusion about what I should be doing to help the next generation, to help people who may not have the Christian um, theology that I have or the revelation and information that I have, that they, they still are people, they still are human. We are all created in God's image and after his likeness. And so um, we have to make sure that they understand their value. We have to make sure that they understand their ability. Um, Bishop Luther mentioned about the first great awakening with, uh, in particular, George, um, Jonathan Edwards and um, George White Whitfield, and how that they had came together in the um, 1800s and had started the first great awakening. But one of the things that had transpired with the first great awakening, um, incidentally, George Whitefield was um, also a part of the Methodist movement um, because he was with John and Charles Wesley when they were in Great Britain. But one of the things that really stuck out to me is that they did not take in consideration the souls of those that were slaves. Three-fifths of those, um, they believed that the slaves were three-fifths human beings. And consequently, they didn't feel that their soul needed to be saved. So therefore, we still have this kind of mindset of a superior, inferior mindset. And that mindset has to be changed in order for this, uh, this, this relationship to get um, better than what it is or what it has been. I think that that is so pivotal and so key. Um, and I don't have all the answers that is going to um, bring uh, unity to the body of Christ other than the word of God. If we are listening to what the word of God is saying, that's the only thing. This country is not going to bring unity because um, as Dr. King says that the oppressor, the, uh, the oppressor is not likely to give freedom to the oppressed, we have to take it back by force. So that's my position on it. And But in Christianity, we have to use the word of God to bring unity back to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Bishop Designate, I know our time is somewhat limited, but we're not going to let this hour expire without hearing from you and Bishop Green again, along with Bishop Harris. All right, as I was saying, I'm a team player, but I'm not a conformist. And one of the things that uh, I think we have to do is intentionally retell and rehearse, reinterpret the Christian story so that it becomes our own story. And so in order to do that, we're going to have to, we have to gather, inquire, investigate, criticize, revise, and 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 share what that story is to us so i believe that's that's the only way that we're going to have unity is uh we have to own what's ours and and reinterpret some of the things that we've been hearing excellent excellent thank you bishop designate bishop green thank you bishop um listening to my brethren and my sister um, I still feel it's going to take a lot of discernment. Uh, last week, we had a, a, a powerful uh, conversation. <laughs> and a lot of who we are and what we do is staying in your lane, knowing who you are, knowing what you do, and know what you're capable of. And there are just some things that I'm called to. Um, I can sit your, your, your auntie taught me this word years ago. I never left it alone, although I've gone on to obtain several degrees. The historicity. We have to know the historicity of whatever we're doing. Uh, we also have to know the modern day um, of what we're doing. There is a cultural shift that's taking place in the church. It's our job to make sure that the cultural shift that takes place in the church does not take away from the culture of the church. 
because, and I say this all the time, people, <laughs> are, uh, these young folk, when you go into their church, there's, there's blue lights and red lights and they're cutting out the lights to pray and all those different things. And we never needed that. We, there was no need for that. The light stayed on while we prayed. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, um, you pray, uh, watch and pray. My pastor said, I pray, you watch your pocketbook. You know, and so, and so I'm a firm believer that um, Bishop, um, without taking up so much time, um, we have to know who we are. We have to know what we're called to, and we have to work in whatever area is needed of us. The Lord has need of us. We have to work in that area to help shape and mold because this is our time. This is our season. This is our tenure. In a minute, we'll close our eyes, we'll transition, and what will they say about us? And I want them to say that I shifted some things in my community. I want them to say that when we needed her to be political, she was political. I want them to say when we needed a word, we could go to her. I want them to say when we need a Holy Ghost fire, we could go to Joshua. Those are the things that I want them to say. So I'm like Paul. I'm going to be all things, all people, um, so that I can win them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amen. Amen. Bishop Hines, we're going to give you the last word today. My God, that's a tall order. <laughs> uh, I, my heart is, is racing with conviction mm -hmm. and um, to see the urgency staying in our lane, staying mm -hmm. in our calling as a mm -hmm. priority uh, because that's where our success is going to be girded up. Uh, but we have to find a way in staying in our lanes and operating in our calling to reach across the aisle and unplug, disconnect our other Christian valued uh, reformations and circles of influence to look at how we can now in this post-COVID-19 uh, season start to galvanize our oneness around we're here for the for the oppressed we're also here for those that have long tenured been in positions of control and authority but at the mm -hmm. end of the day our evangelical brothers and sisters they're still our brothers and sisters we have to take our humanetics knowledge of the scripture and try to find a way to bind and get with them to see we're not Republican, we're not Democrat, but we are blood-bought believers, and we need to walk together under the blood and the spirit of holiness and righteousness, together. That's my final. Amen, amen. Well, friends, there you have it. This is our weekly clergy roundtable, and let me thank Archbishop Dennis Goffin, Bishop Jeffrey Bowens, Bishop Stephanie Riddle-Green, Bishop Designate Helen Sister, uh, Bishop Bowens, and Bishop Hines, along with Archbishop Slater and Pastor Keith Hayward for contributing to our conversation today. Listen, we're here every Tuesday right around the nine o'clock hour. Tell a neighbor, tell a friend, tell somebody that you know that the weekly clergy roundtable is available right here or at this time each and every week. Until next week, remember, God loves you. We love you. And we look forward to seeing you real soon.